Welcome to the Out of the Bubble podcast. My name's Rachel Peru. Join me as I share a weekly dose of midlife inspiration, where you get to hear from amazing women who are embracing life and leaving a trail of inspiration along the way. Breaking down the midlife stereotypical barriers and proving it's never too late to find new passion and purpose. And to step out of your bubble. So what's stopping you? Welcome back to a new week of Out of the Bubble podcast and today we have a lot to talk about. For anyone that has followed me for a while, you will know how passionate I've become about the lack of representation in the beauty industry. It's as if we kind of disappear off the edge of a cliff after 40 as far as the beauty industry is concerned. Although we have started to see some changes, some brands are starting to listen to us. It's a lot of tokenism still going on and you know, I only wrote an article Um, a couple of weeks ago about the fact that Telegraph shared an article that was clearly aimed at midlife. It had that word in the title about skin and beauty care products and yet the models they used were much younger and it sends such a damaging negative message out there that we should be ashamed, we shouldn't show ourselves, we should you know kind of not have to uh, be visible in, in later in life and it's something that really I'm very passionate about. So I know today's conversation is going to be a really interesting one. Today I am joined by Amy Bates. Amy is an award-winning beauty and hair and makeup and beauty bridal artist, but she is most importantly the founder of the Beauty Rebellion. And she is on a mission to get that message loud and clear to the beauty industry that we need diversity. We need to change our perceptions of the perfect body and what the beauty industry should be looking like. So grab a coffee, whatever you're doing, sit back and enjoy. So good morning, Amy. How are you this morning? I'm good, thank you, babe. I'm uh, enjoying this, there's a bit of sunshine blasting through my window this morning, which makes a massive difference to your mood, doesn't it? It does, yeah. So are you an autumn person? Do you like the kind of change of seasons or are you a... I have very much enjoyed the fresh air this morning. I, uh, I, do, I do enjoy the summer, but I don't enjoy being constantly hot. So I have really enjoyed that sort of fresh air, autumn-y vibe, but I don't like it when it starts raining and getting getting wet that's what I don't like like being cool but not wet the grey anyway on a more cheerful note (laughs) I've already (laughs) done the um, introduction um, and I know that you and I have got a lot to talk about today but if you could describe yourself in three words what would it be well this is always an interesting um, question when you have to start doing these sorts of things so I'll give it some thought Rachel and these will be the best ones for your audience to get a gist of, of what I'm all about so the first word I would use is rebellious so I ask a lot of questions. I don't take things at face value. If I see things that aren't right, that don't sit right with me, I will challenge them. Um, and that's a big basis for why I'm working the way that I do with my business. So that's definitely one of my um, descriptive words. Second one is that I'm very kind. I've got a big heart. I love heart. Family are everything to me. Um, and I'm just, I've got a soft spot for people that, that need help. So I would say that I've got a very kind heart. Um, and I talk a lot, so hopefully you can keep me in check. <laughs> Otherwise, your <laughs> podcast will be three hours long. But I'm very talkative. Um, I've got a lot to say, and I'm quite direct with my approach. So those will be my three words to describe me. Fabulous, thank you. And I love that rebellious streak that we're going to hear lots more about. I'm really <laughs> excited to talk about it. So for anybody that doesn't really know you, obviously you are the founder of the Beauty Rebellion. You are kind of really paving a way and pushing forward to make changes in the beauty industry. But this is something that's 
kind of still a fairly new career to you in terms of what you did before. So can you kind of give us a bit of backstory before we get stuck into it? Yeah, so I've, I've had a bit of an uh, unusual life in terms of changes in my career. So for the first 10 years of my working life, I was actually a police officer. So um, I worked for West Midlands Police. I did a variety of roles there, uh, spent a lot of time working on um, the public protection unit. So dealing with domestic abuse, serious sexual offences, that kind of thing. Um, and living in a headspace that was very negative. It's quite a moaning environment. It was quite hard being involved in those really hard parts of people's life and not being able to kind of get them the results that they needed to move on from it and stuff. Made it really, really hard to stay there. So when I had my son, I decided to leave. And so I'd got 10 years um, behind me, left when I was just turning 30, I think. And um, had retrained like an overlap towards the end of my police career. I'd started working in um, the bridal industry, basically. So I was doing hair and makeup for weddings. So I was running that business alongside the police and it was growing, which helped to make the decision then to to leave that police career to to pursue my, my work in the bridal industry. So I did that, but had my daughter very quickly so my children are my, are my absolute world and my motivation for the, the subject that we're going to spend most of the, the talk talking on because I want the world to be a better place for them but I've kind of had to manage a lot of my self-employed career around being a mum as well which as we know can be quite challenging so I carried on working freelancing uh, doing bridal but trying to do other beauty treatments so that I could offer brides more of a package opened a salon that was predominantly aimed at that brides and that kind of uh, wedding prep world um and just before the pandemic probably about uh, six nine months before i'd come away from the salon and i was working from a home salon um which my favorite thing about being with clients is is the friendships and the relationships that you get to build with them so i spend a lot of time with them talking they talk about a lot of quite intimate deep feelings really I feel like that because you're because as a as a beauty therapist you're there's no emotional connection with them like you, you're kind of able to be quite like non-judgmental about other people that are involved and stuff yeah people tend to share a lot so that was really starting to build my understanding of a lot of the emotional baggage and trauma and stuff that, that women is who I work with mostly that women carry and the pressures the pressures to look good obviously because of that beauty work they will talk to you about how they feel about how they look I've had clients talking to me about concerns around eating disorders that they might have I've got people talking to me about how much they dislike what they look like you know the whole I mean the whole thing with the, with the bridal world is a constant focus on what they're going to look like for this big day worrying about whether their makeup will look right whether they'll look ugly blah, blah. you know it's just like really deep insecurities that would come out in the conversations so when the pandemic hit I didn't have we had to close to clients mm. couldn't have face-to-face clients but what that did was give me some space to sort of reassess a little bit about where my passion was and it was such a fuss trying to get opened again the way the government handled the reopening that actually it really made it difficult with the children going back to school and stuff so I made the decision to, to stop to carry on with my bridal work but the day-to-day beauty treatments facials brows that sort of stuff I called a stop to 
so that I could study. I've been working, uh, you know, doing some uh, learning around positive psychology, around eating disorder awareness, lots of different things that kind of come into that category. And then this year I've just um, launched my first book, which is called The Body Confidence Master Plan, which is a guided journal that helps people to sort of delve into where their body confidence issues have come from, educating them a little bit more about how their mind works, encouraging people to understand about their value as a person, not just as a, as a body, yeah. you know, tools to create a body positive world around us. And just I've really found my passion in helping people. And I think it's always what I've been looking for. That's why I joined the police in the first place. Yeah. Couldn't make it work properly. Love doing my beauty stuff, but you're helping people in a um, a bit of a superficial way. And then now this feels I feel like a really natural place for me to be, to kind of combining all of those skills together to be helping people learn about their body image. And having been so involved in the in the beauty industry, it's allowed me to see how toxic an environment that is. Um, for this subject area and how much it's contributing to people's poor mental health. And I feel that we can do better as an industry. I mean, I love my industry, but I see where it's where it's where it's doing bad and I know that we can do better. And that's what I'm trying to raise awareness of Jordan Training in it and just help the beauty industry be a bit more of a flagship for positive body image. Um so that's I that's love what I wanted to do. Amy, I love it. And you know, what a journey you've been on though. And when yeah. you first kind of when I first heard your story about the fact that you've gone from the police force, which I'm imagining is quite a, still quite a male orientated yeah. um, institution to be working for, yeah. um, to 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 a more feminine industry in the beauty industry, I was thinking, gosh, that's such a big difference. But then when listening to you talk, then when you said about the, it's all based around helping people, yeah, and it's just how you found and we yeah. has been weed for you to get to where you are now, which is really interesting. Yeah, and they do seem like they're really different, but I think that the skill set that I learned from the police. I'm naturally quite an assertive person anyway, but that that sort of being able to organise, to be able to um, politely uh, command a room, <laughs> get people to do what I need them to do, actually has been really, really helpful with my the work that I do with my clients. I'm good at conversation. I'm good at asking questions. All of those skills I learned in the police, able to organise a, a wedding morning, keep people calm when they're stressed, so actually, all of the skills were really transferable and made, have made me really good at what I do in in my beauty role. Um, they are, but they are just different environments. I am, I have struggled with women. I do struggle with female dynamics. So I, it's one of the things that attracted me to the place in the first place. So that's been a bit of a journey, kind of having to learn to, yeah, deal with women because it's we're a different kettle of fish, aren't we? And I, yeah, I do we like. Are. So how's that gone? How has that got? easier the older you've got do you think it's, it's got easier the more work I've done on myself the more I understand how I work and how I tick and how sometimes the things that people don't respond well to in my personality are actually there because it's triggering something in themselves yeah. so I've been able to sort of step away from the feeling like it's me that's a problem all the time so yeah, yeah it's it's come from a lot of you know years of of working on myself and just you know I'm, I'm a real big fan of talking therapy and journaling and meditating and all of that sort of stuff the yeah. stuff that helps you tune in with your heart and your head so that's been the biggest thing that's helped me yeah brilliant 
And what about, because obviously you're right, it's almost been like, it's like a therapy session for some people when they go to a beauty salon or to a hairdresser and they yeah. kind of offload all everything that they're, they're feeling and whatever's going on in their lives. But what about your own kind of body confidence journey? Have you always had a good relationship with your body? No. <laughs> it's a bit of a strange one because I wouldn't say that my my body confidence has necessarily been rock bottom as in I don't I don't look in the mirror every day and detest what I see mine has been a lot more to do with perception other people's perceptions of me I've had a real battle with my weight especially after having my daughter so the last six years have been the hardest it's kind of where it came to a a bit of a head really where I've identified that actually I've got some real issues with disordered eating um but it's it's different what what I would say you will know this actually is that Body image and body confidence—it's it, so varied. People have people. It's it's rare that somebody's story is identical to somebody else's. Yeah. So, but this because there's so many different facets of it. There's so many different things that can make us have a, an issue with how we look. Yeah. Um. So for me, it's always been. I've basically I've been on a diet since I was 19. My mum. I grew up in a house with my mum, being constantly on a diet. She, you know, she's. She's always been slimming world weight watchers. So I, I was always around that kind of talk, that kind of um, analysis. And she has always weighed smaller than I have, um, less on the scales. And it's been, a, it's been an ongoing thing. So I've always been heavy. So even when I've, my body has been smaller, my weight has been heavy. So when I, when I first joined the police and I was doing my medical assessments and stuff, they were weighing me and telling me that I was obese, according to the BMI. Yeah. So lots of little trickles of bits and bobs like that, where I've always been very conscious. I've always been a bigger frame than my friends. Everyone's always been wearing smaller sizes than me. But my, my body isn't isn't the biggest body. Yeah. And it never has been. It's, you know, these things when I was like 19, 20, when they're telling me I'm obese, wearing clothes sizes like 12, yeah, you know, and I now wear a 16 to 18, yeah. but the focus of the numbers on the scales for me has been really uh, heavy going because it's really difficult to kind of um, ignore that it's there and it makes you feel like you're doing something wrong or, uh, you know, and as, after I had my daughter, I've really, really struggled with losing weight. All of the diets that I've tried before couldn't get a grip on them so then you get into this spiral of well you know you've done it before and now you can't be asked and all the brain chatter starts off so my my body image body uh, confidence journey has been predominantly around around my weight but not necessarily having a bad um relationship with the mirror yeah because you know i'm quite glam i was always i like to get dressed up i like to do makeup do my hair yeah you know sort clothes out that suit my body shape all of those sorts of things so it's never been a necessarily a relationship with a mirror it's been a relationship with the scales it's been very hard for me and it's then spiraled into uh, a real difficult relationship with food that I have been having to work on with a therapist I still have to work on that now so it's just about healing some of that all of that diet culture that has taken over my life yeah. um, to relearn to you know manage my hunger signals my fullness not feeling guilt when I'm eating, not obsessing about clean eating, all of that sort of stuff. So yeah. it's that, that's that's my version of my body image yeah. stuff. 
loads of people will be able to relate to that as well yeah. and it's you know it's like you say there are, we're all got our own journeys through this and, and it's it's packed full of lots of different negative things that other people have put on us over the years but there will be crossovers in lots of our journeys that we could all relate to different bits of it and I think it's really important that we share this because you know I talk a lot about being super body confident I am now so much more than I ever have been in my life but I still have bad days and I still have things that I have to constantly work on to remind myself to not go down that spiral it's never going to be a, a done deal but Unless we see changes like people like conversations like this yeah. and changes that need to be made in the beauty industry, that's never going to change for the next generations, is it? No, not at all. And I think um, somebody, my, my brother-in-law, a, a couple of weeks ago, took me by surprise with a question that really was a it was a frustrating one because my mind monkeys woke up big time. And it's because mm. he was my, my ne- uh, niece was reading my book. And he said, uh, body confidence. He went, well, do you consider yourself to be body confident? And I thought, oh, God, here we go. Like, I, I, it's not a, simple, not a simple answer to a very, what appears to be a very simple question, especially yeah. when I'm dealing with a bloke who's a bit, you know, will have opinions about what he thinks I look like. And I thought, so, I was, and I was like, well, it depends how you interpret body confidence. It depends what you think you're asking me. So if you think, if you're asking me, do I think I have the best body in the world? And therefore, I'm body confident. That's not what I'm. That's not what body confidence is to me. So, no. to me, it's being able to remove the importance of what my body looks like. It's about exactly. being able to appreciate myself as a, as a person for all of the good stuff that's in my heart, that's in my mind, and not letting how my body looks dictate how I feel on a day to day basis. So, if that's what you mean, then yes, I'm extremely body confident. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, you know. It seems like such a simple question, and they ask it, it as if as if you've been a big head going, "Oh well, yeah, don't I look fabulous?" But it's not about that. It's not about that at all. And I think that and that is something that's really misunderstood for people who don't suffer with any body image issues, who don't suffer with a relationship, bad, a poor relationship with food, who haven't ever had to, um, you know, be on the receiving end of prejudice. Or the way that they look or their skin colour or their abilities and disabilities, all of that sort of stuff. If you've never been part of that, it's very, very difficult for you to understand what that might feel like and to understand that it's actually not a simple question and it doesn't come with a simple answer. Yeah. So yeah. that's, you know, and you just said that about being that you're much more body confident. It, it's, it, it's really, it really requires some explanation as to what that means yeah. because it's not as simple as, I was just like, yeah, I walked down the street thinking I'm the best thing to slice into my space. That's that not what it's about. Yeah, it's not that at all. It's, it's For me, it's definitely not having to justify myself to a number on the scales or a dress yes. size. Yeah. I'm actually not thinking about it and just getting on with my life freely without having to worry about what my body looks like or what other people might think about me. 100%. Absolutely, yeah. And obviously, you know, this is, this passion has driven you down a certain route in the beauty industry. But what was a real kind of spark that set you off on this kind of path to try and make changes and create waves and and, and get so kind of passionate about it? Because I completely understand why, but what was the spark that set you off on this route? Okay. Now, depending on who your listeners are, I'm going to be too direct into the point of this answer, but it will piss people off if they are in this part of the industry. My, big, my biggest book there with the beauty industry is the, the, the aesthetics section is what I have a big problem with. I have a problem with it because it's, it's gone absolutely wild in the last sort of five, 
to seven years where lots of uh, medical professionals who work like in the NHS on their day-to-day job are setting up um, aesthetics businesses because they are because they have the, the, the right skill set to do so to make extra money that's what it's about and it's got I feel like it's got completely out of hand with what how these kind of treatments this kind of thing used to be a real like high-end treatment changes making physical changes with injections and things like that you would be heading to harley street and paying a lot of money to do that sort of thing and now you can literally rock up to your hairdressers or the dentist is where i keep getting it in my dentist and it's everywhere you know you can have every part of your face you know tightened lightened knit tucked different like a million different types of facials that you know peeling skin off and injectables here and it's just nuts and the the absolute icing on the cake was an advertisement I saw pop up on my Facebook from an aesthetics business that was delivering a treatment where you could have injections in your knees to improve the the appearance of your knees and I was just like really really like this is just taking that moment when the somebody that somebody spends in the mirror those private moments that you have when you're taking off your makeup or doing your skincare routine or standing in your underwear and those little those little insecurities that we have my knees look a bit ugly there's too many wrinkles around the corner of my eyes you know my, my jowls need lifting my eyes under eyes are too dark you know all those little things that we scrutinize and the, the aesthetics industry has popped up with a, with a cure, an expensive one, for every single possible thing that you could imagine is a, a, a perceived flaw. Yeah. And, I mean, I know for you, Rachel, you talk about for, for women that are old, older as yeah. well. So this is massively in that arena. Yeah. And there's no room to, like, to grow old, to be tired, to do any of the things that are normal life. And... It makes people feel like crap and it makes them spend a lot of money. And I'm all for profit. I like money. I like buying nice things. I want to have a successful business. And I want these people to have successful businesses. But there has got to be more ethics behind it. I had a conversation with an aesthetics, a guy that I work with who is is very experienced with aesthetics and and now teaches aesthetics. And he has come away from teaching Botox because it's not something that he necessarily likes. He likes to go to more, um, like, oh, I can't I say natural treatments. I don't really know how to explain that in a quick way. But anyway. Non-evasive. Yeah, he's come away from um, teaching Botox and told me that the, because I said to him, tell me about, um, in within the training in the industry, tell me about what discussions take place with students around um, you know, body um, image issues with clients with any kind of like body dysmorphic disorder, about eating disorders. You know, when you because these clients are going to be talking about their real body image concerns with the um, with the aesthetic practitioners, even more than they would with me yeah. in the um, the work that I do. And and he said that there was a small section. Um, in the training that he delivered about um, the words have completely fallen out of my head, within this area anyway. Um, but the, 
new China that had taken over from him had took it out because she didn't think it was important. So there's no regulation, there's no knowledge, there's no help and support. These clients are turning up, spending a lot of money, some getting addicted to it, obsessed with it. I, be, I really believe that it makes your eyes change what you see. So every time you go for fillers in your lips, when you're like, I'll start with just a little bit because I don't need much. But then two years later, your eyes have adjusted every time you've had just a little bit and a little bit. And suddenly yeah. what you what they look like now compared to what they started with, because it just it just becomes you need more and more. And um and I just think the complete lack of the lack of understanding about the impact that that's having on people's mental health. At the very least, if we're going to be doing those things, we need to know where we're signposting people to for help. We need to be able to see. I just think we have to take more responsibility. I've never got away with stuff like that in the police. Maybe that's what fuels it. Maybe because I've come from an organisation where, you know, you are accountable. You have to you have to take responsibility for the impact that what you say and do has on other people. That I think that that um, that the beauty industry should have to do that more as well. You know, and they're making progress. You know, they've they've increased the age limit that um, people have to be before they can start having um, injectables and stuff. So, there's, you know, it's starting to get out there. They're trying to regulate training across the whole of the industry more um, so that, you know, people are getting the, the right quality of training. But I think comp- this area, it, I really think it needs to be uh, included at colleges when, through aesthetic training courses. Because that, at the very least, will make a huge difference. It just gets people thinking. So, do you think at the core of all this, Amy, that it's really the beauty industry have created this fear around ageing? So everything that they do, they're selling millions of pounds worth of products and, and treatments because people are scared to, to look their age and are scared to look older. And it starts now even younger. So even women in their 20s start it because they don't want to look older. Do you think it's kind of that's the core of it? I... I believe that um, when people ask me why, like when they ask me what I do, and I'll try to give them a, like a long, polite version of what it is that I do, when I get to the bit where I go, I say, basically, I'm trying to educate the industry to stop exploiting people's insecurities to make money, they go, oh, yeah, that needs to happen, right? Yeah. That That's what that's what happens. And I'm not going to lie. I, when I've been to, when I've taught, I've got a really successful um, skincare retail business. I teach, you know, I, I work with a, with a skincare brand and I've got a team of ladies that work with me and I teach, have to teach them how to sell it. And part of how you sell stuff is that you solve people's problems. Yeah. But if they don't believe that there is a problem, you can't sell it to them. So you have to. That, that That's basically is it. So, and that's why it's such a difficult subject for me to also talk to the industry about because... Their, their answers, it will always be, for how, how do we make money if we're, you know, how do we sell it if we're not solving problems and that sort of vibe. But there's got to be a balance because we've got to, yes, you know, people want to look nice. They want to look their best. And I'm not against, I'm not against aesthetics. I'm not against beauty treatments. I love it. It's my, it's my, yeah. my, my industry. It's my work. It's where my passion is. But, yes, you cannot keep making people scared of looking older. I mean, for goodness sake, I've just been to a funeral today, uh, this week of a girl who is a mum at, at my school and she, uh, her little girl's in my daughter's class at school and she's just died 
of cancer and she's like 30 and and I just think like she would absolutely take any way that she would look if she could be here aging is not something to be frightened of it's an absolute bloody privilege and I hope that I get to you know go well into my 80s 90s 100s with a nice wrinkly face because that's what's going to happen because it shows you know what where you've been and who you are and and I think that that, I mean, part of what I talk about in my book, and, I, and I'm sure this is something for you too, Rachel, is about gratitude, about being grateful for what you've got. Yeah. And, you know, that's where you, that for me, how you have to look at ageing. Yeah. You've got to look at that, that, you, that you're grateful that you're even still here. You're grateful you're getting to have these things. You're grateful for the fact that your body still works, you know. Exactly. And that's, but yeah. that's about removing the, 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 the aesthetics of your body not being so important. So, yes, you know, I mean, I, what I hope more than my, my face and, um, and my body look, looking good is the fact that I want my, my joints to work properly and I don't want my body to feel old and to slow down. Like That's what I'm aiming for is to try and make sure that, that, it, that I'm still very mobile and very, you know, able to live an exciting life when I'm getting older yeah. rather than worrying too much about how the outside of how that looks so yeah um, and do, you I, think, do you think social media's got a big part to play in that with the beauty industry then do you think that they're really quite entwined now the, the beauty industry and social media and the because it seems that it's piled even more pressure because filters have almost become kind of normal for younger generation so you forget actually what the reality of what you actually look like 100 100 um my, i my, when I talk about the subject, I call it our F foot world, the word like the letter F being the primary thing. And social media and filters is one of those Fs. Finance is one of those Fs. Fear is one of those Fs. Fat phobia is one of them. These are all things that we are subjected to all the time that have created this monster, basically. And social media, I've got a massive love hate relationship with social media because. Yeah, me too. I love how how accessible it's made the world. I love all of the relationship building you can do on it, the community. You know, that's how many you have met. Yeah. It's brilliant for our businesses to to promote all of that, but it can be a really negative space. And this issue with filtering and editing photos. You know, I've been with friends before who who are so busy editing a photo that we just took, editing my face. May I just add? I'm like, mm. that's a bit rude. Yeah. <laughs> that is a little bit rude. Uh, that they miss they miss what's going on with us and yeah the same as what i said earlier about the aesthetics the more you see your face looking a certain way the the more you kind of strive for it to be even more than that and that's what the filters and the editing does is that when you sit because i mean sometimes if 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 i've ever had um a filter on a picture i'm like oh Oh, well, doesn't that look nice? You know, my eyes look nice and defined. My skin looks really lovely. And you think, well, that's what I'm trying to achieve when I'm putting makeup on. It's like, that's part of what you do with making. Yeah. Oh, God, that's... that's. But if I... If, if, yeah, if you only ever look at filtered images, it makes it very difficult to look in the mirror. Yes. <laughs> it makes that, you know, those bare faces or just looking at yourself in a mirror very different because you don't have a filter on your mirror. And that, with children who are getting on social media very early, who are not emotionally um, developed enough, you know, not, you know, emotionally 
they're dealing with so much with their hormones and that already yeah. so much in that transition that it, it, it's really difficult for them to comprehend and be very strong-minded on the fact that you know it's not the reality yeah. and parents think, ask me a go on Rachel you go I just go think on. transparency is the key isn't it I think I really want to see people because I don't use filters on mine but I understand some people want to but I think it's about owning it and saying I have used a filter and I think it should be transparent and they should have to say yeah. they've used a filter so that when young kids do go on social media, it clearly is labelled, this has been changed, it's yeah. filtered, this is not the reality, to remind everybody and get used to that. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I was being interviewed by a journalist the other week about this very subject and we were talking about it because there's some, some campaigns going on at the moment um, around sort of honesty um, with editing and that. And the journalist was telling me that she'd spoken to a psychologist who their stance on it was, is that yes, it would be better, but actually the reality is it, it won't change how people feel about themselves because they're still seeing these perfect images, what we would, you know, what we would see as, as more perfect than what we are. Mm. And that, but, but that what it will do is it will open up more conversation about in the same way you know like they've put the labels all over the cigarette boxes yes. because we know that cigarettes are bad for your health yeah it's almost like the same kind of thing so not going to stop people from smoking and it's not going to stop people from filtering it's not going to stop people from feeling crap when they see those photos mm. but what it will make them do is go okay what's the what's the problem with filtering then let's talk about that let's talk about that to my teenage kids let's talk about how those those images make them feel it's not just mom being difficult saying that filters are bad. It's an actual thing that is trying to be regulated, you know. So it, it it definitely has, it definitely needs to happen. I absolutely agree with you. But I was really interested when she told me that the psychologist had got a different stance yeah. on actually how impactive it would be. Um, but I think it's the, my answer when the parents ask me all the time about, well, how do I deal with this with my teenager, um, is conversation like you've got to have really open communication with them because it's I think it's the feelings that happen internally those mind bumpings that pop up and not understanding that it, that that's what that is um the bits that can get quite damaging those conversations you're having quiet on your own when you when when your head's going mm, you look you, you don't look as nice as the girls at school or you know, they're all laughing at you because you, your boobs are on the or whatever the things are, those being able to talk to that to a parent or an auntie or whoever about that and say, you know, this is what I'm feeling when I'm seeing these images or this is how people are making me feel about my body yeah. is, is the way to kind of help make those, make an impact there with, the, with them. So I think that the filters, filter labels will be really good. Yeah, let's see what happens. And how, what kind of response have you had from the beauty industry? Because it seems to me that you're going to have to kind of knock really loudly to get through to some of these things that really need to change but have been ingrained for yeah. so long. Do you know what? It, it varies in that there are people who are very on board with that messaging. Mm. Um, and there are, there are people who are already promoting this kind of conversation um i haven't i haven't got to a point where i've had standoffs with people or uh criticism necessarily 
I feel like it's one of those conversations that's a behind your back kind of conversation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as in, what does she think she's on about? Like, how, what's that? You know, and I have, but there are, I mean, I, I dealt with, um, I can't remember his name now. I'd have to go and find it. But there's a guy who's really well, well thought of in our industry. Hmm who is like a big aesthetics trainer and he was um, professional beauty shared an interview that they'd done with him um, about um, his business and, you know, it, it growing at the big speed and whatever. And I read the article and commented on it to say that I'd be really interested to talk to him because actually he has come from your world of modelling mm-hmm. and he talks about the pressure and the mental health issues that come from modelling yeah. and what's expectations, but has then gone into the world of aesthetics. Right. And he says that he said that his drive for going into aesthetics was because of what he experienced in the modelling industry. And I thought hmm. that's a bit contradictory for me. Like, yeah. and not in a uh, you know you're wrong, but yeah. I would love to dig deep on his mind and hear that. And um, I have offered to bring him on my podcast to discuss it because I'd really like to see like where his thoughts are. We ain't come on yet, so we'll uh, we'll wait and see. But yeah, I think it's just about having more conversation. No one's talking about it, right? So yeah. this is the problem. It doesn't get talked about in the industry. You know, I read it. I read an article that came out in Professional Beauty yesterday that says the UK is number three in the world for countries that have got body confidence. And I thought that's that's just, that's nothing to that's this is such a problem. The fact that we're that we're only like number three, number three best. I thought like I can't even compute what else is going on in other countries for us yes. to be high up the rankings and doing a good job with body confidence. Yeah. When that when the main people in the industry are sending that sort of stuff out, that isn't helpful because it just completely contradicts, you know, what I want to talk to them about. And the reason that I don't think I think that the message um, comes across okay because even though I am quite direct and like I said, it will it will annoy some aesthetics people who have never really given it a thought about how they're making their money but there are aesthetics practitioners that I've um, worked with who are very on board with making um, you know that set guidelines around that they won't do Botox and stuff till people are over 30 Um, and are much more interested to learn about these body image issues so I wouldn't say it's been received badly but I'm definitely just scratching at the door at the minute. I'm not like fully, uh, you know, loading them, blowing bullets through the door. So I'll keep What's posted. the long-term goal then? So what would be a long-term goal? What's next? <laughs> my long-term goal, my big mission, is to have at least two salons slash beauty businesses in, in each city in the UK that are promoting body positivity, that are diverse and are inclusive for all bodies, including people with disabilities um, who are massively left out of being able to access some of the services. So really what that is making people, you know, having businesses that are prepared to put ethics as as important as their profit making um, so that that starts being able to signpost that, you know, anybody that comes to me that is interested in what I do needs a salon that will help them feel good, that I can point them in the right direction for wherever they need. So that's that's what I would like to achieve. 
and that you know so it's really about me teaching them how to do that and it's not you know it's the challenges they're not rocket it's not rocket science and it's not expensive i mean some of the things we've making the buildings more accessible and that yes they're going to cost some money but the grants that people can get so there'll be things that people aren't even aware of you know from a body positivity point of view you know it's looking at what brands you're working with and how they represent bodies it's making sure that different bodies are represented in your media and the posters that are on the room look at the magazines that you're choosing to use you know can you switch your magazines up for for books instead you know look at what um look at what language you're using when you're promoting your services when you're writing a treatment menu are they just highlighting people's perceived flaws or are they um uplifting and empowering are they about relaxation and self-care or are they about changing your body you know so it's a there's lots it's just some of it it's just quite subtle messaging but can make a massive difference you know we see a lot of before and after images and you know do we need to always be sharing them do we need to be sending this message that look look at what a bad crap you look before i put your makeup on and now look at you know yeah do the end bit talk about that experience that your client had talk about the conversations that you had talk about the way that they were feeling those sorts of things are just as impactful um without having to do the bad bit to the good bit and i think i just think it can be a much more positive space so long term that's what i'm aiming for is to have more places that you can go that i have trained that that you can have confidence are going to look after that side of your mental well-being when you go somewhere well you are a breath of fresh air amy i love it and i'm sure you're going to make massive waves in the beauty industry and keep doing it because i think you know just keep banging that drum and don't give up which i know you won't do if you were to pay yourself a compliment what would it be right well this was what um this is another one obviously we discussed this before we started recording that it's a bit of a weird thing to pay yourself compliments but it is important to be able to acknowledge you know what what's good about us so i encourage my ladies to look at their heart their hands and their mind and what the things are about those three areas of them that are good and one of the things about myself that i like is the fact that i have got a real thirst for knowledge so my brain i've got a big brain and i've got a brain that's really good at interpreting information so then share it in a way that's really understandable and relatable for people um yeah i love to read i love to listen to podcasts i love to learn you know i just i can't can't ever get enough if i'm ever sitting still and i've not got something going on the types of books that i read i don't ever read fiction books because i like to come out of them with something tangible that's going to make a a difference to my life or somebody else's so everything's about learning all the time and i'm and i'm and I just love to talk to people and find people very interesting. So that would be my compliment to Brilliant. myself. Is that I love very that. I love this question because and the interesting thing is I've interviewed 112 people now and not one person I don't think has mentioned anything about their appearance. It's always a personality trait. It's always something that they like about themselves, what they're doing in life and what they're putting into life, what they're getting out of it. And mm. that's that's the most important thing. And, it, and it's really find you? Oh, how can they find me? Well, I am on... Um, I'm on all the social media platforms, so you can find me at um, The Beauty Rebellion on Instagram and Facebook. I've got a Facebook group called um, Girl Talk at the Powder Room, so that Girl Talk is my podcast, um, which is a tool for um, salon 
owners to signpost their clients. We so we talk about anything that affects women basically. Yeah. Um, and we hang out at the Facebook group, and then you can head to my website, which is beautyrebellion.co.uk, and find out all of the stuff that's going on here. So. Brilliant. I should yeah. share all those with the, with the show notes, Amy. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad that our paths have crossed and that we've connected. And I'm looking forward to watching what you do next. Thanks, Thanks for having me, Rachel. Pleasure. Thank you. Take care, babes. Bye. Well, another thought-provoking interview. Thank you, Amy, so much for joining me. And I hope it's given you some food for thought about kind of how you feel about the beauty industry and, and what impact it might have on your day-to-day feelings about yourself. I do not have any problem with a woman choosing to have aesthetics done or anything that they want to do to themselves because it's not up to us to judge our or put our own opinions on somebody else's appearance. But what really does upset me is if somebody is doing that out of the fear that society has created around ageing. So if it's something that they're feeling pressure to do rather than actually something that makes them feel good, then that's when I have an issue with it. But I hope that you know, Amy's thoughts and the work that she's doing to try and make some change to the beauty industry is starting to create these really important conversations. I will be back in the fortnight, but in the meantime, keep being fabulous. Thank you for listening to the Out of the Bubble podcast. I hope it's left you feeling inspired. If it has, why not come and join a fabulous group of women in my free Step Out of the Bubble Facebook group, where you can get to connect with other women all at different stages of their own midlife journey supporting and inspiring one another you can also come and say hello on instagram at rachel Perunron. i'd love to know how you intend or how you are already stepping out of your bubble in 2022 if you're loving the podcast please don't forget to subscribe rate and review your support is much appreciated i'll be back next week with some more inspiration but in the meantime keep being fabulous <laughs>